Today is Good Shepherd Sunday, or at least a Good Shepherd Sunday. It's one of those days in which this wonderful text about the Good Shepherd comes our way. We're invited to try to stand before the mystery of God's Word, and we're reminded that in our community, God's Word has levels, and the Word of God that is spoken through the four Gospels holds pride of place. It's brought in in a special book, it's put in a special place, and all other books of the Bible stand, in a sense, subject to whatever is contained in these books. The words of Christ in red in some of your Bibles, the deeds of Christ. It means, essentially, that parables supersede the more detailed expositions that we might find, say, in the letters of Paul. Whatever Jesus lays open remains open. It's the reverse of what I was taught, but it is the logic of what we do. And today we have a parable, a short one, and it's one that invites me always to stop. As parables do, they are all about stopping and listening and praying and waiting. And my first stop is to say, what is a shepherd? I don't know if I've ever known a shepherd. I've been in places where sheep wandered about, never lived in one. So what is a shepherd, good or otherwise? What is a shepherd? Let's explore this. A shepherd is someone who looks after sheep. How? By feeding them, making sure that they are not food for others, like wolves. By bringing food to them? No, by bringing them to food. How? By moving them to food and away from being food or any other dangers, like simply being lost. And by keeping them from moving, holding them in pens or sheepfolds, and by rounding them up, finding them if they do get lost. How do you move sheep or get them to move? By talking to them, calling them, using your voice, your capacity to hear their, your voice, and if and when the sheep don't listen, and sheep do not always listen, by pushing and pulling them around with sticks, hooks, dogs, whatever. If you saw the wonderful movie Babe, you can even use pigs, apparently, to do this task. Now, what do the sheep think of that? Sheep don't think, apparently. Well, do they at least stick together in their unthinking? No. So it must take a lot of shepherds to move a lot of sheep. No. 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 They don't stick together always, and no, you don't have a lot of shepherds when you have a lot of sheep. So shepherds can be very busy. Yes, good ones. But good shepherds have the trust of their sheep. And good shepherds lead the sheep. They go ahead. They don't stand behind to see where the sheep are going. They simply go ahead and look behind to see what the sheep are doing. And good shepherds find that the sheep are following. But they're busy nonetheless. And the not-so-good shepherds, well, they are not so busy. 
Now, we do not live in an agrarian or pastoral society. We live in post-industrial societies in which pastoral agricultural activity still goes on. There are still farmers and cowmen and shepherds somewhere. Whether or not they are friends, as the song in Oklahoma goes, they are not likely to be friends of ours. We are not likely to know any farmers or herders, let's face it, any agricultural or pastoral professionals. Many of us indeed have never set foot on a farm, except maybe at Klein Creek. It was not always so. Indeed, 100 years ago, say 150, chances are good that not just would you be near a farmer or herder of sheep, cows, or some other livestock, chances are good that you would be one of those. In the ancient, ancient Near East, your chances were even better. So a story, a parable actually, like that of our Lord, using sheep and shepherds as his points of reference, would not require much preliminary explanation. And farmers and herders were not friends, because the one moved around and the other stood still. And to keep the two separate was a tricky business. Indeed, to herd anything into a group and move it along and keep it out of somebody else's fields was and still is a tricky business. So when Jesus says, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus says this, he is not really dealing with any level of ambiguity, parable or no. His meaning in this little allegory or set of similes is clear. He is there to take care of sheep, whether as shepherd or as door of the sheepfold. We notice that Jesus functions at both, and that causes some confusion. Whether moving the sheep along or holding them back, he is there to take care of sheep. And the other question, who are the sheep, is easily answered. It's simple enough. But for this audience, Jesus has also said one, another, one other thing that he is the Lord. Let me explain. Listen to David. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore can I lack nothing. David, the shepherd, for that's what David was before he was king, as we remember, says in this psalm, this the most famous psalm, and maybe even the most famous single text from Scripture that anyone actually knows, David says that it is the Lord who is the shepherd, and he, David, is the sheep. And not only shall the Lord take care of him bodily, this shepherd, the Lord, shall refresh my soul and guide me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Body and soul the Lord will provide, provided we, the sheep, listen to him, that is. That is here in unspoken. Indeed, the atmosphere of utter trust, tranquility, and dependence does so much to make this psalm, the psalm to read to someone who doesn't read psalms, may be in trouble even at the point of death. Even a non-believer wants to hear this psalm and gets it at some level. If you look back, and you might, say to Ezekiel 34, you will find this metaphor of sheep, shepherds, and the Lord as shepherds being rather thoroughly worked over. Again, our parable is dealing with terms of reference that are known. Again, the metaphor starts with David. 
Israel, in exile half a millennium later than David, extends and develops it. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? So you can see that what makes a bad shepherd bad? A bad shepherd puts himself first and the sheep last. What happens to these hungry sheep then? They are weak, sick, injured, lost, oppressed, and finally scattered. The sheep dispersed over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them have been left to their own devices. So you see, here the sheep are the people of Israel. The shepherds are those who have been entrusted to lead them and guide them. And these sheep have been abandoned, abandoned by those who are left in charge, who were charged by God with their care. Prophets, priests, and kings. Priests who did not pray, prophets who did not hear or tell forth God's word, kings who did not rule but were ruled by their own passions. Therefore, God says, I will, I, God, the Lord, myself, I will come and search for my sheep and seek them out. Seek them and find them and gather them together and take them to places of safe pasturage. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I, God. You notice here he's talking about the sheep as well who are not without their own divisions. There are apparently good sheep and not so good sheep. The Lord is going to have a word to those. But he stops and gives this beautiful call. I, God, and they shall know that I am the Lord, uh, that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. This last expression is what is known as the covenant, that bond of love between sheep and shepherd, between God and his people, which recurs throughout Scripture, starting with Abraham in the book Genesis. I will be your God and you will be my people. And that expression, legal though it is to its core, and that has been a mighty temptation, especially for those of us who really immersed ourselves in the 17th century, the very hard and frosty aspects of covenant can utterly possess us all. Forget that this is an expression of any kind of love. It becomes a matter of obedience or, or, or else. Legal though it is to its core, it is an expression of love. For time and time again, the Lord God proves that his devotion to his sheep his determination to chase them down, gather them together, keep them together safe, and lead them to good food and fresh water, spiritual and physical, is far greater than their determination to hear, listen to, or obey his voice, to follow him. The Lord is far more determined that he will find us and bring us back than we are determined to be found, and praise God for that. That's called mercy. All that he asks of us is to follow him, to trust him, to show that we know, we his sheep, how great is his love for us. Do we do that sometimes? Jesus is here then on the eve of the festival of dedication, that great celebration of the purification of the temple, of the cleansing of the sheepfold, if you like, and the winnowing out of the bad shepherds. And he says to his flock, 
and those who are not of his flock. You who have ears to hear, you who know my voice, will follow me. And he is saying to those who will not follow me, unmistakably, I am God and I am the Lord. This expression of Jesus, then, seals his doom. But for those of us who hear his voice to this day, it sets the seal on our hearts of the resurrection life that Jesus goes to and prepares the way for us to follow to. Our lives, our eternal lives, the lives of eternity, of eternal life, the life of the age to come, the life of the kingdom that will be ours in fullness someday as we gather in that great green pasture by those springs of living water, and yet as a life that is lived now, here and now. Jesus, the good shepherd, Jesus as the good shepherd is an important metaphor for us here too at all souls. I look at him now, quite literally, and so will you. Downstairs, the catechesis of the good shepherd is being unfolded once more to lead our children, our youngest children especially, to discover how God loves them and cares them and will pursue them and follow them, and never let them go. Jesus, the good shepherd, challenges us up here as we leave, leave the sheepfolds in ones or twos or by the half dozen, as we are scattered every Sunday, sifted back into the world, set among the wolves, set among the sheep who still not hear, do not know their master's voice, as we go forth on our own to proclaim his lordship, not over this little sheepfold, but over all creation. But he comforts us as well, and he assures us that when, not if, when we go astray this week or this day and wander from the paths of righteousness, he will be there. He will be chasing us down. He once again will be taking the initiative and calling us by name, by the name we had for him before we were born, before even this world was born. Lynn Coulter, in connection with the work of Sophia Cavalletti with young children, the work we carry on, as I've said, writes of how important for children is this part of the parable especially, the joy of being known by name, of having a home, of being loved unconditionally, of having someone to love without fear of rejection, of having all one's needs tended to. Coulter documents again and again in detail the power that this parable has on young children up to the age of six, many who have come from the most difficult of situations from broken and battered homes. How powerful the effect of simply the love of Jesus as shepherd and sheep is to these kids who have done no exegesis, no other reading. The story itself simply touches their hearts. That is the power of Holy Scripture. The story itself, in a way we do not understand, touches us at a level beyond our understanding. Thank God for that. She reflects on the moment when children in the atrium come suddenly to grasp this love of Jesus, this shepherd, this bond of love that we so coldly and disconnectedly call the covenant, 
this love which binds sheep and shepherd and each of them to the Lord to find their place in this parable. She comes to that place that we all struggle with. It's not just parable, it's mystery. How to hold together God's sovereignty and our freedom. God's determination of our lives and the enormous responsibility we bear to make choices in the world. Coulter writes, In contrast to more evangelical theologies, which the pivotal moment in one's faith life is not so much recognizing and choosing Jesus as one's personal Lord and Savior. Here it is a matter of recognizing oneself as someone who has been personally chosen. The great moment for these children is when they realize, following John 6, 37 to 40, that they have been chosen, that all of God's sheep have been given by the Father to the Son that their names have been written in the book of life since before creation began. I came to faith late, and for me, I know that that element of choice was critical. That's what I felt in the depths of my being, that this was a crisis I had to decide or not. And it haunted me and harried me until I could make that choice. But after that, What an incredible comfort and peace to come to those verses like those in John 6, which I am told that you know, the Father has done this all for you. He did it all. He did it all. He touched your heart, brought you to life again. He did this all for you when you weren't even looking for it. That's mercy. Children get this, and children regard those who live without this knowledge of having been personally chosen as truly deprived. They view them as lacking something critical in their lives. In the wake of the September 11, 2001 events, Coulter writes, while pondering how persons could have chosen to do such hurtful things, the four- to six-year-olds in the parish atrium decided they did not know that they were sheep of the Good Shepherd. Out of the mouths of babes. So, we need both. We need to know that everything somehow rests on our decision, our choice. And we need to know that what God has done for us in choosing us in spite of ourselves, to be his follower is the source of tremendous peace. We need them both. We need them both somehow, and that is the mystery to which again and again Jesus points us in these parables. Of course, we still have to follow, and that takes choice, and that takes choices of them, millions of them made every moment, made not in the quiet of some sanctuary like this, but out there, scattered on our own in a busy world amidst the din of conflicting voices. In that chaos of voices calling us to do this and that, we listen for our shepherd. We listen for his voice. So may I simply pray 
that our Good Shepherd will always tune our ears to hear his voice, to listen for it, to trust it, to love it, to grasp once again the way a child understands how much he loves us, and to follow every day back out into the world, into that wild flock who are not yet his, but whose names he may be calling. No, whose names he will have called from the beginning of time to follow his voice in the midst of those sheep and show them his truth and his love. Amen.